Father, I recognize as we come, each one of us have different things that are in our heart, our mind, that has happened through this week. We have concerns together, personally, family. It may be a work situation or it may be a school situation or with friends. It may be concerns about our nation and all the havoc and chaos that seems to be all around us. And we are asking, Lord, that in these moments you would speak to our heart. Specifically speak to us. As you spoke to Moses about a time in his own life where he experienced a deep sense of failure and loss. So open our hearts, God, for ourselves possibly or maybe for someone around us that we love. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I had failed. And then I failed again. And I did everything that I could. I gave it my all. And one more time I failed and it was just devastating. It was my freshman year in college. My teacher had said, if you have a failing grade, which meant anything below a C, you should think of dropping the class that we were in. And I had been raised in the sense that you persevere and you keep trying. You you don't do that kind of thing. He had told us early on in the class that he was um, tired of freshmen who had entered college and couldn't write. And he didn't like teaching a writing class. So he would grade us as tough as his book editor had marked up his manuscripts. And sure enough, he did. The paper came back filled with pages of of corrective red ink. In fact, I think he wrote more than I wrote at times. (laughs) He had told the class one more time that you should drop it and about a third had dropped. Seriously, a third dropped the class. I didn't. And finally it came to a point and I met with him and I talked to him about this whole class and and he said you should consider dropping and I said I'm past the point to be able to do that. And he asked me what I hoped to do someday and I said I was thinking of full-time Christian ministry. And he said like like preaching? I, I said, yes, I, I think so. He said, well, if you can't write, you won't be able to preach. And I was devastated. I was devastated. I called my dad and he said, Kevin, we don't quit. <laughs> he said, write the best paper you can. And uh, I did, thinking I'm going to get... Obviously, you know, I, I pulled in all my friends. One of the guys who's a friend of mine has written like 15 books, and he 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 got the same D as I got. So, um, on that paper, I mean. And uh, and later in the year, it was in June after school, and the grades had been at school had been done, and grades came. Um, I passed, and I was just grateful. But I'll never forget sitting in his office and the devastation of words that just I felt like I'm just such a failure and I I had left his office broken I wanted to run and I wanted to hide I wanted to give up 
Few people escape life without some taste of failure. And it's devastating when you either give your best or you think you're doing your best and you find yourself at this dead end of failure after investing so much. And it could be that you got the failure through some immature decisions or uninformed choices you made or you could have gotten there because you made some really dumb decisions and you were somewhat defiantly standing against something and you ended up devastated by failure. It could be a financial debt. It could be a broken relationship that you've experienced. It could be that your business that you tried and invested so much in went belly up. It could be that you had tried really hard and you wanted to get into a certain school or graduate program and you got that fateful letter that came back that said, we're sorry to inform you. And in all these plans and all that you'd thought, you experienced failure. Could be just maybe a minor setback that's shaken your confidence or it could be one of those catastrophic events that actually crushes your spirit. So what do you do when you fail? How do you handle it? How about someone that you might know right now is in experience who has experienced failure? What do you say to them? How do you help them? Moses was 40 years old. He had been hidden by his mother. He had been saved by Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. Every Hebrew baby boy was to, was to be killed by royal edict, and, and she saved him. He had been raised in the courts of the king, trained in one of the best private schools for privileged kids. He had a great career path ahead of him. And actually on his shoulders had a sense of destiny. Everything seemed to be moving the way it should be. And one little decision, one simple choice had huge consequences and it altered his life forever. He experienced failure. He was devastated. He wanted to run. He did hide. And he, I think, probably said, I quit. So I want you to listen along as I read through this account in Exodus chapter 2 verses 11 through verse 25 and I will read through it um, as we look at the word of God I'm going to have it up on the screen so you can see it as well and and I, I want you to notice his failure as we go through it and I'll make some comments and then I'll share with you what I would call three takeaways with regard to this whole thing of failure. So let's just hear the word. One, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and one of his own people. Looking this way and then that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked one, the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Well, it begins here and it says, one day Moses had grown up. And so between verses 10, which we looked at last week, and verse 11, we, we have 40 years of time. The growing up years of Moses. So now we come to verse 11 and it's another span of years. Chapter 7, verse 23 of Acts says this, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites and saw one of them being mistreated 
by the Egyptian. We have very little about his first 40 years. Just like Jesus, we have very little that is said about those first years of Jesus. Both two great deliverers. But at 40, I think Moses was at this crossroads, possibly an identity crisis. And he had a choice at this point. Is he going to step more fully into his Egyptian culture, even though he's a Hebrew, and live this life and move through this life that way? Or will he step more fully into his Hebrew background and culture? And possibly, could he do them both? Maybe. Could that be even a possibility? So he had a choice at this point. Sometimes when you come to those places in your life where you're making this choice, you're going, okay, I'm going to invest in this direction. And I think he was investing in a direction as he was going to do something for this Hebrew. So he grabbed the pen of his right life in a sense. And instead of, um, he, instead of writing his own story as an Egyptian and asking God then to bless it, he actually gave God the pen and said, write me into the story of your life. This is an important transition time in his life. He gives the pen, he says, write me into your life. But I think he had no idea what this would mean for him. He chose, instead of going into the Egyptian direction, he chose to go and step towards what he sensed in his heart God was calling him to. And you think about it, if he would have, he was trying to take the pen and written his own life and said, God bless it, in this Egyptian, I don't think we'd ever hear of his name today, would we? But because he said, God, I want you to take me and write my story into your story. Even though it was painful and he experienced failure and everything else, God seemed, obviously, to bless him. Years later, we read about him. And so I just have you think about that for yourself for a second. So he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. And this idea of watching means he looked with compassion. He was moved with compassion, which is kind of in your inner being, a sense almost of anger. He looks both ways, sees no one. He thinks no one is there watching, and he kills the man. Acts chapter 7 verse 25 adds this thought. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. He must have hoped that his action would create a chain reaction and that the rest of the Hebrew people who had been enslaved would go, yes, let's do something about this oppression that's in our life. What's really interesting when you have an enslaved mindset, even when someone steps in to try and pull you out of it, how often that just doesn't occur. You think about the people who live in kind of abusive situations where they're under oppression. And you can do all you can to get the person apart, but it, it's not till they themselves come to a place where they're ready for intervention and they walk with it that they walk out. And so Moses kind of, I think, in a very um, kind of undeveloped way, didn't understand how deep this was. In the lives of people. The next day he saw these Hebrews fighting. He says, why are you hitting the Hebrew? And, and the word hitting is really interesting. You see it happen, the same word. It's nakha in the Hebrew. It's verse 11. It says beating. In verse 12 it says killed or struck. In verse 13 it says hitting again. It's the very same Hebrew word. It's this idea that he is coming with punishing forces that can actually kill. So you have the same word on each of these different kind of occasions in these verses. The story continues though in verse 14. It says, the man said... He's saying this to Moses, this Hebrew. Who made you ruler and judge over us? It's a very prophetic word. It's the very same thing that Moses asked God later when God sends him back. He says, 
And he says, by whose authority are, are, are you coming before us? And he doesn't have an answer to this because he goes, are you thinking of, of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, what I must have done has become known. He realizes two things. There won't be an uprising. And the second thing he realizes is that what he's done is probably being circulated throughout Egypt. The story continues, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So Midian, he's on the lamb, he's on the run, he's in the land of Midian. We're not really sure exactly where this location of this land Midian is. He, he, in a sense, when you, do we have that map we can show of, if you see this map, you see Egypt, you see this little red line over here, way down by Arabia, is where he ran to. The idea, when he says he goes to Midian, is like he ran to Timbuktu. Anybody remember the idea of you went to Timbuktu? That dates me a little bit? Okay. It's this idea, he, he went as far as he could, and he put as much distance between himself and Pharaoh as he could. So he goes down into this area where he's far away across a desert from him. And he flees. The story continues. When the girls, um, uh, when, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill him. And he went to Midian where he sat down by a well. It's not the idea that he's sitting there and he's doing nothing. The idea more in, in that language that is used there is the idea that he was living somewhere near that or close to it. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. And some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. I love this this heart that you see of Moses. It's something's in him around the idea of of justice. I'm going to rescue these girls. And then we come to verse 18. And when the girls return to rule their father. And, and that's an unusual name. I, the first time I heard that name was when I received a phone call about 12 years ago by a guy named Rule Nygaard. Some of you have been around the church for a while. Remember Rule Nygaard. He passed away just a, a couple years ago. But Rule called me, and, 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 and the name means actually friend of God or shepherd of God, and Rule is both of those. He was a friend to so many people. He was a shepherd to so many people. And I remember um, uh, Rule, as he... Uh, minister in our church, he's the one, when we talk about finishing strong, he's the one who got all this first building, the, the, the transition that's taken place in our worship space, the gym, he was the one who initiated all of that. So in a sense, when we talk about finishing strong, that's part of what Rule did. So here's this guy, he's named Rule, I'd never heard that name before, and he says, um, he comes to him, And he asked his daughters, why did, you, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And so Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah means warbler. It's, it's a word for like a little bird they would name often. Rachel was, was named a ewe. Her sister um, was named heifer, cow. I think I'd go for you. Anyway, um... And Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And it's really just stranger there is what the name means. It's just a short little thing with the idea. Can you get the idea of Moses? Here's Moses. Here's a guy who is a stranger there in this land of Midian. He, in a sense, is a stranger there 
in the courts of the king. He's even a stranger there with the Hebrews. He's the kind of guy who really, where do I live? Every place I go, I don't know if I really have a home. And so, here's rule comes to his daughter and says, why are you back so early? And they answer, because this Egyptian rescued us. Isn't it interesting, Moses, as he's seen, he's not seen as a Hebrew here. He's, she sees him as an Egyptian. And finally, the story concludes in chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. Here again, verses 22 and verse 23 is a space of 40 years. So it begins in 10 and 11, 40 years. We now come another 40 years. He was 40 years old when he moved into Midian and began to be a shepherd watching the flocks of Rule. Some, sometimes Rule is named Jethro. And the word Jethro really is more like a title. Rule might have been his name. Uh, scholars wonder if Jethro wasn't more like the idea of excellence being like he was a priest. It was, it'd be like Pastor Kevin. You would say, you know, Kevin, he was down the hall. And then you'd say maybe a little later, Pastor was preaching. And so you have this name Rule and Jethro. And so here he is. He's 40 years of age. Exodus 7, 7, a little later says, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to the Pharaoh. So here is a space of 40 years and now we're looking at another 40 years when we look at verses 11 through verse 25. And when he says this, it says, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. If you look at verse 23, the Israelites cried out and their cry went up to God. It's, it's a way of saying they began to pray. And the point is simply this. The exodus did not come about simply because they were in trouble. It was the result of in their trouble, they turned to God and said, God help us. And then you have these words. God heard, he remembered, he looked. And was concerned is what it says in the NIV. It literally means God heard. He remembered his covenant or promise that he had made to the fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembered what was said and he saw. And as he's looking, it says he knew. The actual hero says God knew. That's how it ends, God knew. The idea that he wasn't just merely concerned, but he intimately knew his people And he was stirred to rescue them because they were crying out to him. So there's lots of lessons in this story. So that's kind of the story. You see Moses' failure and how it stands out as we continue in the story of Exodus. But there are just a few things that I want to share with you. What I would call takeaways when it comes to this whole idea that you see in the life of Moses and you see his failure. And the very first takeaway is this, is, is there's an opportunity to learn from your limitations. That's what happens with Moses here. Moses wasn't wrong in his desire to free his people. He just wasn't aware of his limitations. He, in his heart, has this desire to want to rescue, to step in when things are going bad for people that he sees, when he sees injustice and he sees oppression. But he just didn't know how much he needed God. It took another 40 years from when he stepped in and he he thought he could get this chain reaction of of an uprising. It took another 40 years for the people of God to get to the point where they were so sick and tired of the 
abuse and oppression that they finally cried out to God and were ready. See, Moses sought to do a good thing. In fact, I think he thought it was something he was destined to do. At 40 years of age, I think there was a sense of destiny. He had heard stories of his birth. He had heard stories that his name, which means drawn out, deliverer. He knew he had a divine destiny. What he needed to learn was a divine dependency. He didn't understand his limitations. There's nothing wrong with his compassion that he had for that Hebrew person. There's nothing wrong with the anger that he had towards this Egyptian oppression. There's nothing wrong with either of those two things. What was wrong was how he went about it. He didn't understand his own limitations. He acted in his own strength. In fact, I, I read one commentator said, when Moses acted in his own strength, according to his own wisdom, by his own timetable, the outcome was failure. And so God needed to teach him humility. Not the kind of humility that says, I'm no good, I can't do anything. God gifted him in a remarkable way, just as he gifted you. But what he needed to understand was his sense of limitations, that what he wanted to do needed God's direction, wisdom, and strength. And so here is this understanding and opportunity whenever you come across failures to kind of stop and go, what are my limitations? When I, when I look at this failure, what is it? Is it an opportunity for you to look and say, where are the areas where I have acted out in pride or self-reliance? I think God allows failure to teach us dependency on him. And many of our failures are rooted in a sense of our own. I can do this, God. How many times do you, you kind of go, you know, I got, I got the gifts. I've been, you know, can you imagine Moses? He goes, I've been training the courts. I really understand a whole lot of this stuff. I've got the best of academics behind me. I understand what it means to know this from an educational standpoint. I know what this means from a skill standpoint. I have all these things together so I could just step into this thing. But how little he knew how much he needed God in this. How often it is for each of us, and, and we go through our day, and we kind of go, I, that's not a problem, and sometimes when we fail, it's just this opportunity to kind of go, you know what, I really need you, God. What God was calling him to do required deeper trust than I think he could imagine, a more finely tuned ear to God's voice than he knew possible, and a life and an ego that would be ruled by humility that would flow from the heart of God, and at this point, that wasn't in his life. He didn't know his limitations. In times of crushing failure, getting back on the horse is not always the, the, the best thing to do in, in those kind of things. And so in, instead of running right out there and doing things again, he pays attention to his limitations. And he runs and he hides. But in that running and hiding gets an opportunity to start going, God, I need you. Another takeaway is God holds is this idea of um, what you need to learn, not only about your limitations, but you need to grab hold of the process that God takes you through when you fail. It's a really important thing. Like I said, you know, you don't want to get right back on the horse. And you look at his life. Um, there's an opportunity in, in the next, in this phase of his life, he, he gets what I call distance. He gets the ability to gain perspective, not just on his limitations, but he also gets to gain some perspective on a whole lot of other things that were very necessary. And so when people go through a time of failure, not only is there an opportunity to learn your limitations, but there's also the opportunity to actually say, in this next phase, I'm going to grab hold of it. I'm going to learn from you, God, what I need to learn. 
You'll need to learn the importance of distance. A lot of times we need distance in both, um, sometimes geographically, sometimes we need distance in the sense of quiet and, and where we can reflect, and sometimes we need distance in time. And all this takes place. The first thing, I just he, he needed space. He needed to get away. He needed actual distance in miles. And so what's he do? In, in reaction, he runs miles and miles away, which was a good thing. Because he needed to get away for his own safety. Sometimes when a person is in that place where they failed and they're beginning to say, where are my limitations? The process that you are in after failure is so important to grab hold of and say, God, as I get away from this and I get some distance from this, I need you to teach me. Sometimes you need actual distance that is geographic. Sometimes you need to put space between you. And whatever that failure was. Sometimes your recovery will require some actual miles. Another thing that you will need is sometimes not just space, but you'll need a place, a quiet. What I would call actual times of solitude. The distance is not necessarily always needed to be in geography and miles, but it may be more in the idea of getting away from the rush of life. When you experience a failure. So when you break a leg, a doctor does not say, you know, get up on it and run on it right away, right? If you actually hurt, hurt your eye and, and, and injure it in such a way, they don't say, now try and use it as much as you can, right? What he, he basically does, they'll put a patch in your eye. When you come to a place where your spirit has been crushed, God in many ways in his grace allows us to get away from it and say, you know what, now is a time to grab hold of this process. Not only do you learn about your limitations, but in this process I have a whole lot of other things. I want to give you some other things with regard to perspective. Moses went to the desert. When you read this passage of scripture, he goes to a place that's a desert. Now it's a literal desert, but often in scripture there's a spiritual significance to desert times. Desert times are times when you're pulled away from life and you get away from the rush of it and you get away from the flow of it and in that place you're able to kind of quiet yourself so you begin to hear what God wants to say to you. And so that's what's going on in his life. He, he's got distance, not only has he gone miles, but he's got distance, he moves to a desert to a place where he can begin to say, God, speak to me. You see, Moses knew that he had to hear from God. And so in times of crushing failure, you need to slow down. You may need to reflect. In those times of quiet, you may need to just stop and and own up and understand how you got to where you are. The ability to own up on your part for getting to this land called failure. What did I do? How did I get there? And it's in those times that you need not only that distance that sometimes would be in miles, but you need distance in the sense of how do I begin to get to a place where I can hear and understand and grow. And then there's a third kind of distance that we find here. It's, it's the distance what I call time. God allowed Moses 40 years. Again, this is actual time, but there's a spiritual significance to the 40 years. It was... It was necessary for, for Moses to be 40 years in the desert for his heart to be healed. For God to do the work that he needed to do in that time of failure. 
Moses needed years to learn dependency. He needed years in the, in the desert to learn what it meant to be a shepherd, to live in the desert. For what God was going to be calling him to, he needed actual time. And often when you come into those places, God is saying, you will need some time to heal. And there's a significance to 40 years because um, 40 years in a spiritual sense throughout the Bible talks about a thoroughness of cleansing or preparation. And we find the word 40 many times throughout the Bible. Genesis chapter 7 verse 4 says, Noah, the flood, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And you go, oh, so 40 days, 40 nights, that's an interesting thing. The whole idea was it needed, the earth did at that point, it needed 40 days and 40 nights for there to be a thorough cleansing of this place. Again, this idea, it needed to be cleansed thoroughly and prepared. You read Exodus chapter 24, verse 18. Moses entered the cloud of glory and stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So why is he in this cloud? What's he doing up in this cloud of glory? For 40 days and 40 nights, God is thoroughly preparing him, transforming him. And if they were told actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that when he comes out, he is so radiant with the glory of God that he has to put a veil on his face before he comes down and he enters in. He is so prepared for what he's needing to do that he needs 40 days and 40 nights. And then, and then you read with Jesus, Matthew 4. One through two, Jesus was led by the Spirit in the desert, and after fasting, 40 days and 40 nights. You see this 40, 40, and 40. It says in Luke that after he fasted, he came back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. That whole testing time for Jesus as he fasted and he depended on God was an opportunity for God to work in his heart and create also within his character that testing of his strength so that when he came back, he had the power to do what he was called to do. There is a sense that when you go into this time and you begin to start to understand that God does have a destiny, he does have something for your life, he's calling you to it, but you can't do it without him. He wants you to participate. He wants you to bring all of your gifts and all of your strengths to whatever he's calling you to do. And, and as you understand your limitations and grow in that, he then says, grab hold of the process. When you actually have come to a place where you've failed, you've experienced a failure, he says, now grab hold of this process because in this process, you need to learn. You need this idea of these 40 days and 40 nights where he can take and begin to build into you, prepare you for what he's called you to do. Because you, in order to do what Moses needed to do to stand up against a world power, He needed in every way the kind of humility that would allow for him to depend on God, to be able to hear clearly God's voice, to trust the fact that this was not about his gifts and what he could do, but it was about what God could do through him. He needed this time of preparation. If you've gone through a time where you've experienced failure, where you've kind of stepped back and you are are saying, you know what, I, I now... If experienced this and got in this time, you grab hold of this process, you begin to start to realize, okay, here are some things that, that need to change in me in order for God to do what he needs to do. And one of the things we don't do well in our culture is the ability to step aside and let God do the work he needs to do in us. And it doesn't have to be a one-time failure. It could be that God's been calling you to do something and, and you have been trying and, and praying for it and seeking for God to, to open up the door. I don't, it could be in a business situation, it could be with your family, it could be whatever it might be and you've, you've experienced it. And maybe it's not just one big failure, but it's been failure after failure. And, and God is saying, you know what, part of what I'm trying to teach you in this process is for you to grab hold of it and begin to get to know me and, and, and to grow in such a way because who you are here 
doesn't have the strength of character to do what in your heart you want to do and what I want to do for you. Does that make sense? So what happens is we have this desire in our hearts. I know, I, I, I understand this personally. This desire to do these things for God, but we, we don't realize how long it takes for God to build character in our hearts. We, we really want to see character happen really quickly. But, and we think we can go down to the bookstore and find a book on character change that has, you know, three easy steps and five simple to-dos. And it's going to produce character. Character is a process of time where you begin to hear from God and you begin to understand his word and his word becomes a part of your life. And as you begin to process that, you begin to be, trust him and through faith you begin to start moving into things and he teaches you over time a kind of character. Character happens little by little as you walk with God. So this whole part of Moses' life, these 40 years and being in the desert and, 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 and getting away from that culture was so important for him. And you may be in that place right now. And here's, here's some bad news. You may be in this place for a lot longer than you would have thought. I, I, I like this scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 7, 21 and 22, this is years later and, and, and Moses is sharing in this Deuteronomy the second law as he gives to the people before they go into the promised land. He's telling them what God's going to do and how the enemy in the promised land and those they face are going to be great, but God's going to drive them out. This is what he says. He says, do not be terrified by them for the Lord your God who is among you is great and an awesome God. So recognize you're going to be going to this land and you're going to clear this land out of the enemies, but as you walk into this land, you have to to understand that God's with you. He's a lot bigger than they are. He's going to take care of this. And then he says, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. I, I, I like little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. Character development, the kind of things that God needs to do, he does little by little. And we want it right away. And before Moses was ever going to be able to be used by God to make a way when there seemed to be no way, it was a, a whole development of who he was that was necessary to take place. And there's a whole development of what needs to be done sometimes in our life before God can say yes to the things that we desire and want to move into. And character is a little by little process. You didn't Think about it. You didn't develop character overnight. No one does. You know, kids are raised and you're developed with a certain kind of character and you have those things. And Moses had all those things. Moses raised for 40 years. And in 40 years, he gets there. He steps into it in his own strength, doesn't realize his own limitations, doesn't need how much, doesn't have any idea how much he needs God to do what he wants in his heart to do, what he feels destined to do. So God takes him another whole 40 years, little by little, little by little, little by little. He's training him. He's teaching him. He's developing a character of humility that will allow for him to have the kind of dependence to do what God wants him to do. And then I love this last kind of takeaway. And that is, not only do you learn from your limitations, and not only do you then um, also kind of in that process of recovery, this idea that you grab hold of it and, and, and really use it and, and don't fight it, is this idea that you should celebrate the grace of God. There is an opportunity that will come to do it God's way. Moses needed to know that. When he left there, I'm sure he thought, I'm done. I give up. 
Little by little, God is training him. He's teaching him all kinds of things so that he, when he does free him, he knows what it means to be a shepherd. He knows how to live in the desert. He knows how to hear the voice of God. He knows all those things. There is going to come for him an opportunity to do this again. God was preparing him. But you know what's also going on? God was preparing the people that he was going to rescue. And God was also working. He was also working in Egypt. He was waiting for that king to die. And all those things coming together. Because there was going to be an opportunity to do it again. And, 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 and little did he know all that needed to happen. But God in his grace, in his goodness, still had him in his heart and mind. He still had the people that he loved in his heart and mind. I, um, on Friday, was trying to get things ready for our porch and so our porch we have some heavy windows and so I I was taking these windows in there's about eight or seven or eight of them and they're really heavy and I was going along and as I went along we have a TV that hangs in our wall there and I scratched the TV yeah I went no I'm serious like no I'm holding this thing and I'm just bummed I'm over, I'm a little bit later making some toast and getting breakfast ready and I had thought I'd do this thing early and I'm going, just one little decision. Just a, a, mil, a few millimeters to the left and I would never scratch. I thought, just one little decision and I wouldn't have permanently marred that screen. And I just thought to myself when I was standing there, how often... Moses may have thought, it's that one little decision, that, that one little choice. And I thought about how often you probably have been in that place. You go, just that one little choice. If I, if I would have just moved and done this just a little bit differently. If I just have a do-over, right? Ever thought that? Ever when you played games, you go, do over. Yeah, I, I know you have. You know, like if you're playing cards and you throw it, and you, you grab it back, and you go, I just do over. Well, here's the truth about God when you look at Moses. He looks at Moses and he goes, You can have a do over. He looks at you and he says, You can have a do over. What I have in store in your heart, I, I can still work with you. I can imagine his thoughts as he was kind of running away. One decision altered the course of my life forever. I was a prince, now I'm a pauper. Big city, now I'm in the backwoods. From a high-paying career to a low life of a shepherd. One little choice. God, could I just have a do-over? And he goes, yeah, you will. You need to learn some things about your limitations. You need to grab hold of this process and and allow for me to build a character in you because I am going to use you again. So celebrate the goodness and grace of God. Right where you're at, if you're in that place, you're in that process, God was not done with Moses and he is not done with you. Forty years may have seemed like forever, yet through it all, God was at work in Moses. Grab hold of the process right now that you're in and let God in his grace prepare you to use you again. Because your failure does not disqualify you. 
God is still at work. Did you know that, that Moses killed a man, David committed adultery and had her husband killed, and Paul stood over the killing of Stephen and the brutal imprisonment of many other Christ followers, and God used each of them. All of us fail, every one of us. Romans 3, 9 through 18, Paul quotes a whole bunch of Old Testament passages from different places, and the gist of all of them are summed up in just the first few verses. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. If we're honest, every one of us are failures, and the very fact that God will use us even in the next few moments, maybe in someone's life, is all about God, his goodness, and his grace. And we need God's help. And God isn't through with you. If you've experienced failure, God says, look to me, I'm a God of grace, I'm a God of goodness. I love verses 24 and 25, how it ends. They'd be great verses to memorize, to put up on the, on the wall to look at or in your mirror. There's four verbs of grace. God hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows your heart and your situation. He is not done with you. Because God will make a way when there seems to be no way, in spite of our failure. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come forward. And we're just going to take a few moments and, and sing uh, first a song about, about what it means to kind of go, God, you are a God who loves us in our times of weakness and failure.